Is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. All right, welcome to the Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. Thanks for listening. You're listening on KCOU 88.1 FM and on our podcast if you are a subscriber um, to our podcast. And today we have a, a cool I, show. I think it's a really fun theme. A little theme. bit spooky. Uh-huh. Yeah. Perfect for this um, holiday that's coming up. Is it, <laughs> is it really considered a holiday? I don't know. I don't know. Do you get a day off if it's a holiday? <laughs> no. It, well, you don't get all all holidays off anyway. That's so. true. Yeah. You get legal holidays off, yeah. so okay. this is an illegal holiday. Oh, even better. Uh -oh. I, that makes me like it more. Yeah. So, of course, we're talking about Halloween, mm -hmm. which is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, Unless you're listening to to the podcast, which is, like, happened it, like months ago. It but, was months ago. <laughs> but assuming you're you're a true listener and you're listening to us on, on air live as we are right now, um, which we thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, actually, real quick, is anyone does anyone have any Halloween plans? Uh, no. No. <laughs> yeah, me either. I didn't know if other graduate students were no. more fun than me. No, nope. no, graduate students aren't allowed fun. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> we get we could celebrate Day of the Dead. Oh, I would Day love to do muertos. that. It's yeah. a beautiful tradition. Is it a tradition? It is a tradition. Now yeah. I'm hooked on the what's a tradition and what's a holiday. <laughs> But yeah, very briefly, it's just a celebration of, uh, at least in Mexico and in other Latin American countries, um, it's just a celebration of the dead. And mm -hmm. and you make this, I don't know if you guys have seen those uh, altars of like... Yeah, they're really colorful, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's super colorful. And that's when you see like the skull, the, the sugar candy skulls mm -hmm. um, and all that stuff. It's pretty much just a way of, uh, the, the way you do it is you put in that altar, which is it's just a table and you decorate it very colorfully and you put um the stuff that the person used to like yeah it's um, a really beautiful honor mm -hmm. it's just pretty like, much way honoring. to honor the the deceased right right and so that's that's kind of the tradition of course it has you know other stuff but that's sort of the, the gist of it but that's not what we're touching on today we're talking about uh what spooky is that what we call it? Spooky, that? scary <laughs> Halloween. Interesting in, in a scientific way, ish, or so we are attempting to do so. Um, so why don't we get it started? So there is this article, and if you remember last week, we talked about um, open access and open data, and how mm -hmm. some people are now before they get even published, they publish their data on. Um, on like sharing say. websites on like sharing websites and stuff and so this article was published but not really peer published 
Mm-hmm. Um, yet, probably. Yet is is on their review for peer review, um, but it's it's available for for the public, and it's it's it, it looks just like a like an article. It just hasn't been published in a specific journal. Um, so this team of researchers, which are from all over the country and the world, um, they study DNA and RNA um, in organisms, but they wanted to look at what happens in the DNA when organisms die. Hmm. When, when things die, mm-hmm. what happens to, to the DNA? Mm-hmm. And so the way they did this is they, they grabbed some uh, fish and mice and they studied their genes after the fish and the mice were dead. Mm-hmm. And they found really interesting things um, that came out of, uh, of, of looking at the DNA after these two organisms um, died. So it was... Um, this this study was uh, the the PI of the study is Peter Noble from the University of Washington in Seattle, and they are microbiologists. So they they wanted to see about um, you know stuff of what happens to to the DNA or genes when um, when an organism dies. Mm-hmm. And so what they what they found is this very interesting thing that you know you would expect as Things started shut down, mm-hmm. so are the genes. Well, they yeah, found... Yeah, because if, if the organism is not still alive to pass on the genes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what would be the point, or for the genes to do their job, what would be the point of them still functioning? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they found the other way around. Oh. The genes, hundreds of genes, not every gene, but hundreds of genes were ramped up, mm-hmm. especially 24 hours after the wow. animals were dead and some genes were still active for days wow yeah so it's like they i wonder if they like ramped up as a like last ditch effort well so what um what i'm reading about here also is that um they think that some of them you know genes have repressor proteins or activator proteins and if you, this gene is being actively repressed, mm-hmm. and then the repressor goes away because the repressor is no longer being expressed. Oh. Now there's nothing stopping the repressed gene from being expressed. Right. And some of the genes that they saw most increase of was the fight response. So mm-hmm. inflammation, firing mm-hmm. up the immune system, counteracting stress, you know, all these things that were like super stressful, and then now it's like, well, mm-hmm. huh. You still kind of have to like keep rolling, right? Because you still have energy. Yeah. Our bodies don't like immediately shut down, and you still have sugar running, and you still have water running, and those things can still function in a way. Um, and so, yeah, they 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 saw this. They saw uh, genes from, um, I guess the, the the most obvious one that you would see is the pro apoptosis. Mm-hmm. genes um because there are many yeah um, so and we, we should probably yeah talk, talk about, about apoptosis uh, so very short apoptosis is just a process of um programmed cell death the programmed part is really important because there are other ways that a mm-hmm. cell dies you can have necrosis which um 
Is it if, traumatic? Yeah, if you got an injury or something, and or like a spider bite, and it starts to turn black and everything, that's necrosis because your cells are freaking out, and they can't do anything about it, and they burst open, and there's a lot of bad stuff in a cell, so it's not really meant to be uh, just floating around. Hmm, but right. apoptosis is much more contained. It's programmed. On purpose. Yep. Yeah, it, it's on purpose because it... And, if you remember, we talked a lot about how things regenerate, like your skin cells, you know, mm -hmm. or your blood cells. We have new blood every 120 days. So you cannot have, you know, double <laughs> the amount of blood in your system. Some of those cells have to die and some others have to uh, be uh, reproduced. And so that's, that's why apoptosis is a very common process. Uh, we even have some statistics here that say between 50 and 70 billion, that's with a B, cells mm -hmm. die each day due to apoptosis in the average human adult. Bees. That's yeah. a lot of cells. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so hard to take into context, too. Yeah. Well, we have like, like trillions uh, yeah. of cells. So. Way more than that. <laughs> well, but it, it's a process that makes sense, uh, especially at certain in certain systems in your mm -hmm. body and in certain stages of development. Yep. I mean, think about like um, if you've ever seen pictures of really early stage of human development, like still in the womb. Mm -hmm. At some stages, we still have webbed fingers and toes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like and a tail, right? Yeah, and a tail, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. Um, but so that webbing has to go away at some point. If, if you want to have dexterity, if you want to you know <laughs> separate fingers and so on. Apoptosis is the the cellular strategy for making that happen. Just the cells that were there between your fingers uh, just sort of uh, get rid of themselves. Yeah, they kind their membranes kind of make these little pods, and then other cells gobble them up. Yeah. For the recycling. Mm -hmm. And so uh, going back to this study about the, the genes that saw uh, an increase in in regulation or in, in appearance. Um, so they have this uh, cool graphs they're showing. And, you know, within like an hour, they were about the same as when when the organism was, was alive. Um, and then it starts increasing about tenfold when it's four hours eight hours and then the peak is at 12 hours hmm. so wow yeah and then there's there's other organism that the peak is at 24 hours so at 24 hours is when you see the most um gene expression uh, of certain genes of course um now you're probably wondering well um uh, we know a little bit about about genes and how some genes are just dead right like not dead but um some genes are unknown coding genes um they just they just are part of our dna but we used to call them junk dna right and now we don't do that anymore right unless uh, we're very lazy like myself <laughs> um and so uh like, like i mentioned they study fish and mice so for the fish they found that 53 percent of the genes that they found that were being um express uh 53 were protein coding genes so mm -hmm. things that they need to make stuff and then 47% was known coding. Wow. And the mice, that was even higher. It was 63% uh, of the genes were protein coding genes and 37% were uh, known coding. Hmm. So that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. of genes that were, that were being expressed um, even after, after the organism had, had died. And so, um, like I said, uh, most of them were like for immune responses, 
stress-related, inflammation, of course, that's a big thing um, we all know about. But there were, there were some other things that they, that they and apoptosis, of course. Um, but they, there were some other things that they saw that was very, very interesting. Um, one of them was cancer. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cancer genes. They were, they, were, they were in there. But the most interesting one was development well, genes. I was going to say, I guess it's not surprising that cancer genes would be there. Because that's cancer genes are genes that like, right, the cell mm-hmm. is growing and it's just nothing's going to stop it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense that you would see that. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I usually think of, um, you know, genes that promote cancer are actually usually genes that repress excessive growth, right? Mm -hmm. And they're probably normally repressed. So I would kind of suspect that they fall into that category of things that are, would have been repressed, but are no longer. So I guess they're expressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but the most, uh, unexpected one was the development genes. Um, yeah, that's odd. But if you think about it, I mean, when you're dead, that's kind of the same thing as when you're first being developed. So the system looked around the same. Hmm. I have no idea. Because you, you have no energy by yourself. Right. right? Oh, okay, okay. You need the energy from it's something else. You need the nutrients. Uh-huh. System. System. System, yeah. right. And so um, that's where they, that's where they see, um, they saw like the most... Um, as we said, unexpected things. Um, so what, is, what does this mean? Why in the world would you want to do this um, other than maybe you're a morbid person? Well, not really. <laughs> yeah, there's a functional purpose. There's a functional purpose. So, so when, okay, so, so if we were to look at it um, from a useful perspective, where do we see the most usefulness of an organism that is dead? I read the article, so I feel like I feel like it'd be cheating to tell you. (laughs) Okay, well, just think about it, and then you can think about a very obvious answer: organ transplant. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to know what happens to the organs after their their host? From the host, mm -hmm, yeah. After the host is no longer but before uh, it's available before it's. Yeah, before yeah. it's being transplanted to someone else. It's part of, you know, we, we talk about um, how some some transplants are successful, others are not, how you have to have compatibility. Hmm. But if you were to study the genes or the DNA of the two people, then you would probably know, okay, mm-hmm. this is maybe what's going to happen. And so we can give you this, mm-hmm. I don't know, anti-inflammatory medicine mm-hmm. so that, you know. You don't, you don't reject this That's other great. organ. Yeah. Yeah. So I also read that they were saying um, this could help with forensics also. Um, hmm. You know, if we, we normally try to look at a body and say, well, this body has been dead for X many hours based on other traits, but they're mm-hmm. saying, well, now we could also use that DNA to try to figure out, you know, well, these genes are expressed. So probably they died about. 12 hours ago. Yeah, because we saw the peak of, or they see the peak of certain genes. Um, Like I said, like within the first few hours, you don't see anything until you hit the 12th hour mark or the 24th hour mark. And then you're like, oh, okay. That's very cool. So Mm -hmm. it could be something that, um, you know, could be useful. Um, 
in in the long term. Um, this, and I have to mention it, the name of this study was um, Thanatotranscriptome, genes actively expressed after organism organismal death. And Thanatho, it's derived from Thanos, which is a short name from the name Athanasios, which means immortal oh, in Greek. Perfect. So, <laughs> I was so not they, sure where we were going with that. <laughs> so they just decided to, to name it a little bit immortal. It's not immortal, of course, because everything... Oh, I guess we should mention... Um, so they saw the peak at 24 hours for some of the genes. In, tw- in 48 hours, it was like a, a big, sharp decrease. It was okay. just like poof, everything just, yeah. just gone, and it, it stopped. Um, so yes, you're not, we're not talking about zombies that, you know, they, they, <laughs> their genes keep on going. Yeah. It's, uh, it, yeah, they, they stopped after, after 48 hours. So, hmm. yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about another Halloween, um, favorite, okay. <laughs> which is the mummy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, a doctoral student, Jennifer Willoughby, um, who's a doctoral student in bioarchaeology at Western University in Canada, okay. um, has been studying mummies with a very, I mean, obviously she's a bioarchaeologist, but she's studying very a very specific part of mummies, okay. which is uh, cancer in mummies. So, Do mummies get cancer? <laughs> Ancient Egyptians. Maybe that's the mummy's curse. <laughs> Maybe. That's why he's so grumpy. Ancient Egyptians, um, you know, have the same, had the same diseases we have today. Mm-hmm. So heartburn, not heartburn, <laughs> heart, heart disease. disease and, probably you know, heartburn. Things, probably heartburn. Um, and and th- like all that vinegar, right? <laughs> and cancer. And so when archaeologists look at mummies, they, you know, want to get information from mm-hmm their archaeological digs. But if you look at a mummy, how would you know what a mummied tumor looks like? Uh-huh. A mummified tumor. So um, oh, yeah. Jennifer Willoughby set out to... Well, wouldn't it be the same as us, though? After the mummification process, though? Mm-hmm. So that was the thing. Is a, Yeah. Pretty if, involved process. Yeah. Um, so recently... Um, in the news, some CT scans have been done of mummies and things like that to get further information. But the whole idea is, how do we know what we're looking at? And so this doctoral student took some deceased mice that she got from a cancer lab. Um, and then she went through the process of mummifying them. Mm -hmm. And so some of these mice had tumors and some did not. And it was the full mummification process, which includes um, removing organs um, through the nose. So I'm sorry, that's a little bit graphic, but that is the process that ancient Egyptians would go through also. So tiny. And then she would fill their abdomens with a dehydrating chemical, the same one that ancient Egyptians used. And it is called natron, natron, N-A-T-R-O-N. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is, but it's a dehydrating chemical. And then the mice went through a 50-day drying period, and then they were dipped into pine resin and wrapped in bandages and sealed with beeswax. Wow. So exactly the same process that um, 
that mummies went through in ancient Egypt and actually went through the final touches of anointing them with frankincense and myrrh huh. and well, saying nice. an ancient that's Egyptian prayer, prayer over them specifically to mimic the process completely. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, you can't skip any of the steps or you yeah. might, you know, not You might be missing the key, right? <laughs> um, and then so she reported her mummy studies. And, and this is the best part. <laughs> At? Uh, oh, at the World Congress of Mummy Studies. So that's Whoa, a thing. Cool. <laughs> it must be in Egypt, right? <laughs> you know, I hope so, but I really don't know. I'll have to I look didn't that even up. know that existed. <laughs> so she was able to compare. So if you think your job is cool, you're, it's, yeah. not. You're, it's not. Because no. no, no. I mean, you can say you were going to present your work at the World Congress of Mummy Studies. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and so she like then went through and just studied the the tumor and saw what mummification does. And mummification actually um, will make the tumor much more solid, solid, and shows okay. and will actually show up differently using different imaging techniques like X-ray. So now that we have like a blanket, this is what mummified tumors look like. Anytime we do a scan of a mummy, we can get more detailed information about it. That's really cool. Know why they died in the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also- And it's it's good because we already have mummies. Yeah. So she doesn't have to do the mummification process again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting because mummies- in mummies, the oldest types of some cancers have been found. No. So it's it's kind of important for us to be able to identify the tumors because uh-huh. then we can get a better history of some of these things. Huh. So prostate cancer was one of the uh, cancers found in, the oldest form of prostate cancer was found in a mummy. Huh. Does, does that make sense? I wasn't sure if I was saying that correctly, but yeah. I mean, I guess it so would the, have to be. <laughs> yeah, the oldest form that was has been found has been found in a mummy. And mm-hmm. so we think that scientists believe that being able to process how cancers have changed over the years and also how they haven't changed might help us to unlock the key of curing them. Hmm. Because if there's some thing mm-hmm. that stayed uh, constant over thousands of years, yep. then, then maybe that must be universal and right. And then we can start cancer. digging into that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So mummies mm-hmm. helping cure cancer. I can't get over <laughs> pulling organs out from a mouse nose. Like, oh my god. Yeah. It. I will say the article I read was, became a little bit more graphic about it, uh-huh. but I'm gonna spare sure. our audience that that little piece of tidbit. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of. I mean, so I do know ancient Egyptians used a straw. Okay. In the truest sense. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, it would wow. have to be a long <laughs> straw for me to feel okay with wow. that process. <laughs> a good filter. Yeah. My gosh. All right. Well, with that, <laughs> why don't we go on to first musical break? You're listening to The Big Electron on KCU 88.1 FM. All right. Welcome back to The Big Electron. Thanks for listening. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam again. I, I'm Madeline. <laughs> I'm still on Ahita. <laughs> Yay, we survived. Um, okay, so we're continuing on our spooky theme. Spooky scary. And it's just about to get even worse. Oh, yeah, this is great. And actually, I love that we just had a um, a PSA about how drugs mess with your brain because other things that mess with your brain are parasites. Oh, boy. Tell us about yeah. it. So uh, one of my favorites... <clears throat> Because I have favorite parasites. <laughs> As um, do all scientists. <laughs> so this is actually um, a virus. And um, 
It's it's a baculovirus, in case you care. Uh, like Dracula? No, with a B, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, And so, as you probably know, like, a, a virus has a strong will to just spread itself. Um, often, it does this through killing everything in its path and trying to um, develop ways to infect new organisms. The traditional way. Sure. Um, and so... I don't know, some of the other viruses that we've heard about, um, you know, like Zika goes through mosquitoes. So that's part of its life cycle. Um, or Ebola was spread through touching and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this baculovirus actually can get into caterpillars. And so caterpillars, um, part of their life cycle is they're the caterpillar and then they have to go through this molting process. And when they molt, they stop growing and they stop eating. They're they're not interested in that at this point. Hmm. And um, so, which is really bad because you need that to sustain life. The virus needs that. So the mm-hmm. the caterpillar, like it's just that's just what it does. Like mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but the baculovirus doesn't like that because it wants the caterpillar to be big and juicy and really gooey. And oh. um, <laughs> so this this virus gets into the caterpillar brain and. Um, gets it to to forego that molting process and it also hijacks um its behavior and makes it climb high up when i heard of this originally it was in like corn stalks um or high up in trees which is not normally where caterpillar wants to be especially um in the middle of the day and so it climbs all the way up in these trees and then it gets really creepy because the whole caterpillar just melts. Ugh. It goes through this liquefaction process. <laughs> How do they do that? Are you sure it's not because of the sun? No, it's not. Um, and I've been trying to figure out, like, is I, I don't know why it does that. But the advantage here is that the, the virus wants that to happen because then this caterpillar goo drips down onto lower leaves and it just spreads way further than, you know, this dead caterpillar on the bottom of the ground possibly would. Um, And the other thing is when caterpillars are up high in leaves and stuff, they are really attractive to birds. And so birds, um, they come get the caterpillar. And apparently, I did not know this, um, birds will bash it on branches to remove some of its hair. I guess birds don't like caterpillar hair. Well, I mean, it's like eating a kiwi. You don't want to eat the skin. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) If you don't want to eat the what? The skin of a kiwi. It's like that. It's it's weird and gross. I heard something else. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, not only is the bird now getting rid of the hair, but it's also getting droplets of liquefied caterpillar all over oh everything. God. And, um, oh, yeah. This is terrible. The virus can survive in the gut of the bird. And, oh, then, and then the virus is spread through the bird poop. Like, this is a genius virus. This virus How? has just no standards at all. <laughs> all no, no, means no. necessary. This, this, this virus is like... Has thought about this, <laughs> right? Uh, it, Isn't that what's evolution like scary about it? Evolution <laughs> at its finest. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful me. evolution. 
the crazy thing about this is, you know, viruses are just genetic information, which makes them sound simple. Granted, they're not. So Clearly, they're of the malicious. Fact that they are just. <laughs> DNA and they're really usually not that much DNA. They have to right. do really clever things without that many proteins or things that so they're, they're able very to make. Efficient. Super efficient. That's horrifying. They're so efficient <laughs> that it's almost hard for us to study sometimes because like if we tinker with them in the slightest, the whole oh, thing is messed up. That's insane. Yeah. So not necessarily this virus. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, other other viruses, viruses, such as HIV, which you yeah. probably have heard of, and um, oh, and yeah. hepatitis HIV's C, malicious. and it's a virus. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, just really fascinating genomes, and uh, wow. so that's my uh, so favorite. It, so that's your favorite because there are others. Yes. That oh, there's, there's so many. So um, there's there's something else too. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about the the fungus ants? The fungus ants. <laughs> What are those things? Why do... Uh, so another clever fungus. So I need to parasite. know about these fungus ants. <laughs> they I, sounds like a good I Halloween costume. I mean, I costume. don't need to know about them, but <laughs> for the sake of our listeners, <laughs> what are they? So they this fungus also takes control of the brains of ants very effectively. I thought it was the ants that took control of somebody's brain, and I was very worried. Oh, oh, God. No. oh my God. Well, no, maybe, at least maybe those are there, too, but who knows? It's the next step of the fungus's oh. plan. Not, not according to this fungus, though. This fungus has other, other ideas. So. Mm. so what's this fungus doing? So this, this fungus is, uh, or the ants uh, oh. that it affects are in Thailand. And this fungus decides to be around the leaves where... The ants are, and so temperature, humidity, and sunlight are idea for this fungus to grow, and then it can oh, infect um, some more ants. And so, once the ant is infected by this fungus, this ant wants to climb down from a canopy to the low leaves, um, where it's kind of there before it dies. But that's not all it does. Um, but that's not all it does. <laughs> so the fungus gets into the brain of the ants and basically manipulates the ants by making them travel a long way where that fungus or parasite wants to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So it like, <laughs> so, oh, my God. So, okay. So there's this fungus, which, again, is very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> and it grows where the ants want to be, where the ants mm -hmm. want to eat. Yeah. And convinces the ants to take it where it would where grow. Where it wants to be. Where it wants to be. Yeah. Where the, where the fungus wants to better. be. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so then it, it bites on. So the ant is now in this weird place and it just bites onto a leaf and stays there. And so the... The ant is kind of just like paralyzed with its little pinchers grabbing onto this leaf, which is where the fungus wants to be. And then the fungus starts dissolving the ant. There's all these sugars within the ant that the fungus just thinks are super tasty. And yeah, because the fungus now wants to eat. And so, what's the best way then take up the energy that the ant had? Mm -hmm. And sure, so because just, that's what I do with my car <laughs> just drink the gasoline. <laughs> So, so this, yeah, so the fungus, uh, that's insane, you know, wants to like, it grabs the, the, the sugars that help the, the fungus growth. 
gross. But it leaves the muscles uh, oh, that's that nice. control the mandibles <laughs> intact uh-huh. oh, that's to make sure to make sure that the ant keeps its death uh, grip on the leaf. Mm-hmm. Great, because yeah. that's that's where the fungus is better at growing. Um, that's intelligent. Okay, so I have one more parasite. If you guys are ready, this yeah. is this is one that I learned about a long time ago. It's called a horseshoe hair, or sorry, not a horseshoe, a horsehair worm. And so it's a worm, and <sighs> it looks like a horsehair. It's really, really, really long. So I mean, we're talking like I don't know, eight or ten inches. So it it's black and long, and um, its ultimate goal is to be inside cows. That's where it does the most of its life cycle. But to get there, what it will do is infect a, I believe it's a grasshopper. And it'll convince the grass, it'll, you know, once again, kind of oh take God. over the grasshoppers. <laughs> if you was guys that a at yeah. listening at home could see Anahita's face right now, you would be aware that she is not ready for this. <laughs> Don't Google this it. <laughs> so it's discussion. so clever because um, it gets inside a, a, a grasshopper gets the grasshopper to go to like this, like a, well, I'm used to thinking of it in like a horse tank, like a, what, what cows drink water out of? Like a giant thing of water. (laughs) I guess it would normally be a pond, but the videos that I've seen are all in enclosures. I was imagining like a fish tank, but for horses. (laughs) I was like, what is the purpose of this? (laughs) No. um, And so then the, the caterpillar, not the caterpillar, the grasshopper goes and drowns itself (laughs) in this water. And then the worm just slowly wiggles its way out of the dead grasshopper so that now the cow will drink the parasite mm-hmm. and it can live happily ever after in mm-hmm. the um, cow. I assume then it goes out through the feces and that's how it infects more uh, grasshoppers. I don't quite remember. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm so elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, this, so this worm <laughs> and the plan. eggs hatch and just settle to the bottom as larvae um, since they cannot swim up the water. They just wait until they're eaten um, or they're eaten by, you know, mosquitoes and other insects and stuff. (laughs) And so, you know, now that the mosquitoes have flies or whatever, then can go get snatched up by a a grasshopper again or have the cow Mm -hmm. drink the water and... So this worm... Very versatile. This worm can infect a grasshopper then cons- convince a grasshopper to murder itself, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but can't swim. <laughs> like, I feel like evolution's working. Needs no, to no, start because, working on because, that Because stuff. you have to, like... I think the adults can swim. Okay, okay. I can yeah. accept that. Yeah, but the larva <laughs> just, like, stays there waiting for it to be eaten. That and makes then sense. it can, like, do this. <laughs> but, yeah, what a crazy life cycle. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's interesting. It makes our life cycles seem really boring. Like, <laughs> I think we're born, by, by and then we do I some stuff, that's... and then we have more babies, and then we die. Like maybe that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm okay with this life. Cycle. Yeah. You know what's the worst part though? That it's nearly impossible to identify an infected cricket. Oh, yeah, that's because pretty terrifying. It just it just behaves normally until it kills itself. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and then. The worm manipulates them to shut up with the chirping. Oh, so they don't even mate or anything. I'm kind of on board with the worm. (laughs) (laughs) So the the chirping um, 
it's very uh, energetically expensive. And so the oh. worm is like, no, I want that energy for myself. Uh-huh. Makes sense. And so, we got to go find that water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't be chirping on the way. We've yeah. got more important things to do. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Yep. So you're welcome. <laughs> now you know so much more about parasites. Yeah. This yeah. is definitely stuff to keep. I will say it is really it. cool. I just wish I didn't Google the image. Sure. And like that's that's one of my favorite things about biology is when biology messes with other biology. Oh yeah. Like the way antibiotics work, super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, um, I was kind of looking up stuff for today's episode, and oh, you know, what are some Halloweeny science topics? And um, some of them were talking about the ten most terrifying um, things in nature that are real. And super resistant or multi-drug resistant superbugs were on like number one on the list or something. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, super terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So. Yay, Mother Nature. Yeah. <laughs> but Adam, you have some stories about Mother Nature that are not as terrifying. Well, let's hope. Uh, <laughs> it'll be hard to match that. Um, so big part of Halloween, of course, is costumes. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the fun part. And... Um, Regardless of what you may be going as for Halloween this year, it's unlikely to be quite as practical as all the things I'm about to talk about here, which is uh, (laughs) costumes in the animal kingdom. So we did not come up with the idea of wearing a costume, Hmm. even even the idea of wearing a costume to trick other people or treat other people, (laughs) whatever, um, to um, or use it as a defense mechanism. Or, or, well, we... Well, I don't we dress do. up Ritual. as, like, a princess. <laughs> as I, a defense mechanism. Yeah. I, I also don't typically dress up as a defense mechanism. But, of course, camouflage is a, you know, military-style clothing. It's uh-huh. used as oh, a, a defense to blend into the background. And just like every other kind of costume, that does show up in the animal kingdom. And so just give you a couple ideas about how that works a lot of animals will camouflage themselves so that they can look like their surroundings and um they'll wear this costume 365 days a year they do not only wear it on (laughs) halloween um but uh some of them they're legit they're like really committed to this oh yeah it's a lifestyle i would say absolutely absolutely. (laughs) they're really into this thing so so some animals will camouflage themselves to look like their background for the entire year. And oftentimes those are like your sort of generic mammals that you see around, like squirrels and so on, which have this sort of brown earth tone kind mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason they're oh, that color. Oh, that's why you were, okay. I couldn't quite grasp what you were saying. <laughs> Sorry? I thought you were going to talk about more like uh Welcome like to chameleons. the conversation, Jackie. <laughs> no, 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 no. I oh. thought you were talking about chameleons, chameleons or something. Chameleons are definitely on the list. Absolutely. Okay. okay. But we're, we're going step by step. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, we'll, we'll so let's, squirrels. Let's, let's ease our way into it. Absolutely. Okay. Let's start with sort of you're just, you know, I have one costume and only one costume mm-hmm. and I'm stuck with this costume all Forever. the time. Okay. Forever. Okay. Gotcha. So that's that's our starting point and we'll work our way up to, to the top notch uh, greatest animal in the world, which is the chameleon. Um, oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> I like spoiled. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, but um, okay. yeah, so the Squirrels. generic mammal is like a squirrel or something that mm-hmm. just has the same uh, sort of neutral coloring all the year round, which will most of the time in most circumstances let it blend in with its background. But there are others that do this seasonally. Like think about an Arctic fox, um, which yeah. has uh, a white coat. Um, in the winter and turns brown in the summer. I don't think I knew that. Actually has that makes total sort sense. of variable color. And, you know, fur doesn't 
once the the individual hair in mm-hmm. the fur is coat formed. is grown, it doesn't change color. So it has to have that seasonal length of time to replace all its fur. Hmm. So um, hmm. it's exactly the opposite of a chameleon, for example, which can <laughs> almost immediately use its scales to change color and blend in with its immediate background. So it's changing things on a time scale that's just like rapid fire. So that's one of those really yeah. elaborate costumes that you can't believe somebody spent this much time making it. <laughs> well, chameleons did. And so they definitely have an advantage there. Uh, but they, you know, they have a color range that they can operate within uh, to look like their immediate environment. But um, there's also some that aren't camouflage at all. There's a lot of costumes that are really meant to stand out. You know, not, not everyone's yeah. trying to blend into the background. Some people really want to be the life of the party. Mm-hmm. And uh, those would be zebras. For Wait, example. really? Yes. So imagine that you're a um, imagine that you're a large mammal that's constantly being hunted by lions and other stuff okay. like that. Um, and the lion can you'd think see a zebra pretty easily. You know this uh, mm-hmm. black and white stripes kind of makes it stand out a little bit mm-hmm. from yeah. the plains. The thing is that those creatures aren't used to seeing a lot of black and white lines. Um, oh. You know, just all together um, in a in that sort of context, it doesn't oh. mimic anything in nature. It's completely different. Right. That would still be really bad if there were just one of them. Mm-hmm. But zebras live in herds. Oh. You've got tens, so it- hundreds of thousands of them all at once. And when you have all of that together, it basically becomes this weird hypnotizing optical illusion <laughs> for the lion. And they're just like, whoa, I don't know what to Trippy. do with this. And yeah. they just back off. And th- so it's kind of like twofold, right? Like the first thing is it's like, oh, what's this weird thing? But then second of all, you can't really tell where one zebra ends and one starts. So even yeah. if you were like committed. The whole thing just, <laughs> you're just you don't know what animal you're know. following. You're right. just like, was I chasing that one over there or am I chasing this mm-hmm. this big, you That's know, awesome. uh, yeah. fully mature, healthy creature who could probably kick me uh, yeah. really hard. You know, like you don't know which one you're following at any given time. So it's a group costume. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. huh. a massive, group a massive are the group best. effort. And it, yeah. and it helps that lions are colorblind. Oh, are they? Yeah. That's cool. So, learning a lot about wildlife. Yeah. So, So, you know, it's like, ha, got you, evolution. (laughs) Just, just like, it's just like the the wonderful parasites that Mandelman was talking about. (laughs) Tricked you. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's also costumes that are basically a warning, you know, saying, Mm -hmm. um, like the monarch butterfly, which is poisonous uh, for birds to eat. And so basically it's super brightly colored to let the birds know, like basically like an orange traffic cone. Um, I am very bad for your health. <laughs> do not eat me. <laughs> no then, eating traffic no, cones. No, that's nice. Because yeah. most generally you do it so that they eat you and then they die. And, then and you're die. like, Pff. But this is like, let's save us all the trouble. The butterfly is not acting out of spite. It's just, uh, it just doesn't want to be be eaten itself. (laughs) It's really, sometimes that strategy makes sense, but yeah, uh, Yeah. not not for them. So they're just, they would just rather get all the information out there so that the birds know. Hmm. Other creatures, on the other hand, that aren't monarch butterflies might want to pretend to be a monarch butterfly. And so they will Mm -hmm. wear a monarch Mm -hmm. butterfly costume to try and prevent themselves from being eaten. Mm-hmm. even though they're not poisonous and the birds would find them tasty and delicious. That's so cool. Will the real monarch butterfly please stand up? And no. <laughs> no is the answer to that. <laughs> so those just Very a few cool. uh, mm-hmm. costumes that you might find out there in the animal kingdom. And, uh, you know, next time you see a squirrel, don't don't write them off as completely uncreative. They have Aww. their reasons, you know. <laughs> they're, they're just doing what they got to 
Well, the the you forgot to mention, or I guess you, yeah, you forgot to mention did. like yeah. what the the one of the best ones. Which one's that? The walking stick. Oh, oh. the walking stick. Those are terrifying. See, too. I want to give a shout out to the octopus. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that either. Why? <laughs> because they're so good at camouflage. Have you seen the octopus? It's scary. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like instantaneous. You're like, oh, that's ground. No, that's an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Some pretty cool There's stuff. no shortage of creative costumes. Out there. Yeah. So next Halloween, go as an Octomos. Oh, my gosh. That or I have a really fun one. Well, this isn't really along the same lines, but I really <laughs> like this fun animal fact. Polar bears, their hair is clear. That's super crazy. Isn't that it's nuts? Like their skin is white. Yeah. Their fur is clear. You're kidding. I the internet told me. Yeah. So there's like I've a 90% chance it's true. I think that's you know, pretty, you know those lamps. That 90%. Those lamps that are like are look like they're hairy yeah. and they have all the trippy colors. It's just like that. It's just that the the fibers just carry whatever colors beneath yeah. them. So polar bears are their hair is clear. That's nuts. So yeah. you couldn't dye it. Well, maybe, I don't know. Like if you I don't wanted to want to fight <laughs> Would you want to die you a bear? Die I wanted to give it highlights. Because the bear would eat you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of reasons you can't die. <laughs> All right. We'll go on our second musical break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCU Columbia. All right. Welcome back to The Big Electron and closing down on our spooky. We really have been neglecting the most important part of Halloween. Which is? Obviously candy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, God, what are you going to tell us about? That's, like, scary. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm going to talk. topic is, like, is, delicious. It's candy, but it's also a little bit spooky. Yeah, I think. Um, it's more than a little spooky. <laughs> what, what I'm going to discuss is uh, how much candy is too much candy. Like, how much candy will make you die? Yes. Oh, God. Exactly. So, um. I'm going to talk about the American Chemical Society crunched the numbers to determine what is the LD50 for sucrose. So let me break down what I just said. The LD50 is the lethal dose of something that would cause 50% of the population to die. To die. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then sucrose um, is sugar. So the LD, so the people at the American Chemical Society figured out what's the lethal dose of sucrose for 50% of the population to die. And by 50%, like, there's well, going to be some some variability in there. That's just kind of their way of it, averaging it. It's like giving you a 50-50 chance. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're right. There's some, some variability. some people, it would be much lower, and some people, it would be much higher, but, like, right. right. It's, it's just, this, yeah, it's kind of like an average. A blanket average. Yeah, and you don't hear a lot about LD50s, but a lot of the the toxic um, chemicals that are out there, uh, if you hear like, oh, if you have like one gram of cyanide or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the LD50, like the 50-50 chance of, if you take that, you have a 50-50 chance of surviving. So um, it's it's a general term, but they did it for sugar. They did it for sugar. For sucrose specifically. Uh-huh. And so um, usually the LD50 is tested on animals like rats okay. or mice, mm-hmm. things like that. So just keep that in mind that we take the data that's used for mice and can extrapolate to what that would be for a human. So for this study, they assumed an average 180-pound American okay. as uh, 
the per, the the population. Okay. So the LD50 or what would give a 180-pound American population a 50-50 chance of overdosing is about 5.4 pounds of sugar. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> Which, about what I'm having on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like a, a sweet much. tea's worth. That, I mean, five pounds? If five pounds is, like, more than a normal, like, obviously it's more, more than, than I a, can carry home from the grocery store. <laughs> it's more than you would want to eat, but it seems feasible. Wait, what's a, what's a normal bag... How much does that like, weigh? Because like five pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like so, it's like a pack. Well, I mean, granted, granted it's sugar not is not the entire right. weight of that pack. Right. So if yeah. if you take like a chocolate or something, you have like 20, 30 grams of sugar, which is you know very little compared to pounds. But so let's talk about the most common form of Halloween candy, which is the fun size candy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, if you average the amount of sugar that's in all funds, the average fun size candies, um, to 50, 50% chance or 50% chance of taking down an 180 pound American, you, they would have to eat 262 pieces of fun size candy. Wow. 262. Yes. So that's, that's a number. That's a big number, but it sounds somehow weirdly within range. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like I could, like I never would, but I feel like I could do that. <laughs> Is this would. within 24 hours? Um, or like I believe it would probably have to be in one sitting. Minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, in the amount of time it takes you to chew <laughs> yeah. and swallow it. It's, it's probably... Or you could just uh, blend what? it. Be super efficient. <laughs> so this is assuming you don't have time to metabolize it out right. of yourself. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. Right. So it's probably like in one sitting or, yeah, in the time that you Pretty have quick. to metabolize. So, that's like, that's 20,000 calories. Yes. Ooh. That's like 10 times what... You're supposed to eat, yes. which is 2,000 calories. Or just what Michael Phelps eats on a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> right, because I'm at exercises, and most of us don't. But. So if we translate from fun-sized candy to probably the most hated Halloween candy, which is candy corn, yep. then that's 1,627 pieces. 1,600? Oh, my gosh. 1,627 pieces. So how many bags is I that? Well, I don't find that a risk at all. Um, <laughs> if I make it through 10... I'll be good. <laughs> but so, that'll be impressive. But mm-hmm. who are the people that eat the most candy on Halloween? Children. Uh huh. So we really care about what the LD50 is for children. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about a 60 pound child, the LD50 for fun size treats is 87. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's very that's, feasible. That's totally like what you would come away with yeah. from a night of trick or treating. And then to translate to candy corn, that's 540 pieces. Wow. That's. So, That's feasible. Yeah. I think that like whatever it is about biology that makes us nauseous after eating too much yeah. candy is just like a defense mechanism. Yeah, that should against kick in. Candy. That's <laughs> probably literally true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so don't throw up or maybe fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. So don't let your kids eat all their candy in one sitting yeah. and don't steal all their candy and eat it in one sitting. <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's probably wow. good. Yeah, and hey, maybe the fact Brian that they and Mikey and Pat from Weezer, and you're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Columbia. I think the fact that they want to run around after that is probably good too. Yeah, definitely yeah, helps metabolize. They need, they need Burn it off ASAP. Yeah. So, with that, thanks for listening to our spooky thing. We started off bad and it just got worse and <laughs> ended on a high note yay 
Watch out for the candy you're eating. <laughs> A sugar high note. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thanks for listening.